Front Desk, Chapter 36. The next Sunday, it was my mom's turn to take me out. I looked down at the shopping bag in her hand. My mom's favorite thing to do besides math was go shopping. Well, not shopping exactly. We walked around the mall with empty shopping bags filled with toilet paper. We'd found the empty shopping bags in the mall parking lot a while back. There was a bright red one from Macy's and one from Mervyn's and a shimmery silver one from the store called Charlotte Roos. My mother was so happy when we found them, she immediately went into the mall bathroom and stuck them with toilet paper. Now, every time we went to the mall, we carried them. My mom says that people are nicer to you if you walk around with a shopping bag. As usual, we poked around Macy's. A sales lady came up to us and asked if we needed help. My mom said her line, I'm just looking. Usually, just being around new clothes cheered her up. Today, though, she seemed extra sad. I don't know what we're going to do, she said. The extra $20 a day for Hank is killing us, just killing us. She shook her head. Maybe I could take a part-time job, she said. I could see if any of the restaurants, a part-time job? But what about dad, I protested. Dad had enough trouble as it was, even with her help. He got so little sleep from being up all night, checking customers in. Some days he didn't even eat dinner after he finished cleaning. He just crashed onto the bed in the living room. Well, I have to do something, my mother said. Once again, I thought about my tips. I had about $100 left. I had about $100 now. I was hiding it under my bed in a Ziploc bag. My mom poked me. Hey, isn't that? She asked, pointing. I looked up and saw Jason standing there with someone who must have been his mom. They looked exactly alike, seeming just as surprised to see us there. Jason and his mother waved and walked us over. It was hard not to stare at Jason's mom, specifically the humongous diamond on her hand. I thought I might go blind. It's so good to finally meet you, Jason's mother said, extending a hand to my mother. My husband's told me so much about you. She glanced at my mother's shopping bag and arched an eyebrow. I didn't know you guys shopped here, she said. My mother's face turned the same color as her shopping bag. Oh, we're just looking, she muttered. While she and my mother talked, Jason turned to me. Are you buying new pants, he hissed. Are you buying a new face, I hissed back. Jason tugged on his mom's arm. Let's go, he said. Well, we ought to go, Mrs. Yao said. We should get back, too, my mom said. It was nice meeting you, Mrs. Yao said, fake smiling at my mom. We should get together sometime. Well, you have my number, my mom joked. Mrs. Yao laughed. As we walked out the store, I turned around and stuck my tongue out at Jason, who immediately stuck his tongue right back. Once we were in our car, my mom started having a panic attack. Oh God, I knew we shouldn't have come. I had this feeling all day that something bad was going to happen, but I just kept ignoring it. My mom cried, rocking herself back and forth in the driver's seat. Is this about bumping into Jason and his mom? I asked her. She stared at me with this manic look in her eyes. We didn't just bump into them, we bumped into them at Macy's, she cried. So? So don't you understand? People like us don't go to Macy's, especially for paying $20 a day for Hank. They're probably thinking we must have savings and now they're going to try to squeeze us for every more, for even more money. Oh God, oh God. My mom opened her door and got out, gasping for air. I scrambled after her. This is all my fault, she said, shaking her head as she opened up the trunk. I should have never kept those bags. Before I could stop her, she took them out and ripped them into shreds right there in the parking lot. We both stared at the tiny pieces of the butchered paper. I thought about the day my mom found those bags, how she ran her hands over them and couldn't stop smiling all day. How sometimes, in the late afternoons, after she'd spent the entire day on her knees scrubbing floor after floor after floor, she'd get the shopping bags out and just look at them. She didn't know I saw her, but I did. Things must be really bad for my mom to want to give all that up. 
Once again, I thought about the hundred dollars hiding under my mattress and the guilt burned in my chest. Front Desk Chapter 37 I told Lupe the next day about bumping into Jason's mom at the mall. So what'd you do, she asked. Nothing, we just left, I said. She looked surprised. You think we'd hang out with her? I asked. I don't know, she shrugged. Maybe you guys went shopping together. Aren't you guys always trying to find a good deal? I hated it when she lumped me and Jason together. It's not guys, it's guy, singular, I told her. I like a good deal, sure, but I don't screw people over. Lupe looked at the ground and didn't say anything. I started to feel bad, but I didn't apologize. I needed her to know Jason and I were not the same. In class, we had wrapped up our China unit, thank God, and moved on to another country is in Asia. Who can tell me another place where a lot of things are manufactured besides Asia? Mrs. Douglas asked. A hand shot up. Canada? Someone from the front row asked. Mexico! Mrs. Douglas announced, ending the guessing pretty quickly. I glanced over at Lupe, who looked like she wanted to crawl under her desk. Many of the factories there are called maquiladoras, and they make things for cheap, Mrs. Douglas explained. How cheap? Another kid asked. Very cheap, Mrs. Douglas said. She told us that at some maquiladoras, workers made as little as 50 cents an hour. This struck me as a usually unfair, and I immediately raised my hands. How can they pair their workers so little? I asked Mrs. Douglas. It's supply and demand. Anytime a lot of people want a job and there aren't that many jobs, the salary goes down, Mrs. Douglas said. I thought about Mr. Yao's comments when we first came about how 10,000 other immigrants would take our job in two seconds if we quit. Okay, kids, Mrs. Douglas announced. We're going to play a little game. It's called Hot Seat. That got my classmates' attention. They all sat up straighter in their seats only to slump back down seconds later when they realized Hot Seat was an educational game, not a game game. Here's the way Hot Seat worked. Mrs. Douglas picked someone at a random to represent the maquiladoras. That person had 10 minutes to prepare his or her opening statement. Then they had to sit in the hot seat and answer tough questions from the floor. The rest of the class was the floor. The harder the questions, the better, Mrs. Douglas said. With that, she reached into her hat of names and pulled out a piece of paper. Jason Yao, she announced. Jason groaned. Slowly, he pulled out his pencil and started writing out a statement while I sat next to him, jaw-locked, eyebrows furrowed. He was going down. Good morning, my name is Jason Yao and I represent the Maculadoras of Mexi. My hand shot up in the air. Hey, Jason protested. I'm not even done reading my statement yet. Fine, I said. I put my hand down and waited until bated breath um, for him to finish. Jason droned on about how big his factories were and how many t-shirts and umbrella stands they made every year. And as soon as he finished, my hand shot back up. How does it feel to squeeze your workers for every last cent they have, I asked. I don't squeeze anyone, Jason said. You pay your workers 50 cents an hour. I'd call that squeezing, I said. I glanced at Mrs. Douglas, who gave me the thumbs up sign to keep going. They don't have to work for me. Nobody's forcing them to, Jason said with a shrug. But they don't have a choice. They have to feed their families, I said. Well, that's their problem, Jason said. My classmates' heads bounced from Jason to me like it was a tennis match. What if you were in that position, I asked Jason. If I were in their position, I'd appreciate having a job, he said. He looked hard at me. Wouldn't you? My cheeks burned. I glanced over at Lupe. As usual, her mouth was clamped shut. I turned back to Jason. You need them just as much as they need you, I said. Without them, you wouldn't have a factory. Yes, so? So why don't you pay them more, I yelled. Why do you always have to take them? Why do you always have to take, take, take? Every time I said take, I lunged forward in my seat. The other kids joined in and soon everyone was chanting, take, take, 
Tank, tank. It's not my fault, Jason shrieked. It's supply and demand, Mrs. Douglas. Help! Mrs. Douglas stepped in and took over, freeing Jason from the hot seat. As Jason crawled back to his seat, Mrs. Douglas turned to me and said, Boy, that was really something. Well done, Mia. I had no idea you were so passionate about maculadoras. I didn't either. I caught up to Lupe after school. Hey, how come you didn't help me back there, I asked her. Lupe shrugged. Didn't look like you needed help, she said. She turned and started walking home. I felt the sting of rejection. What was up with her? I wondered if it was if it had anything to do with what I said earlier, when I chewed her out for lumping me and Jason in the same category. Had I gone too far? I kicked the rocks on the side of the road and decided to take the long way home. About halfway back, I wandered into the shopping plaza where there was a pizza hut calling to me at the end of the buildings. I stopped and peered in. Usually, just looking into the restaurants filled me up. All those smiley people, families sitting down for a delicious meal together, we didn't get to go out um, much in China because family meals were usually at my grandmother's house. But the few times we did go out, it was pretty funny. In China, people do not split the bill. It's considered very rude to do so or to not pay for a friend. As a result, people routinely got into fistfights in restaurants as customers pushed and shoved one another for the bill. As a kid, I remember it being hilarious to sit there and watch grown people fighting. Sometimes the fighting got so bad, the waiters and the waitresses would have to squeeze in and break it up. Sometimes it would take a whole pack of waitresses just to pin down one person. There was absolutely none of that going on in the Pizza Hut today. Everybody was very civil. There was no shouting and no fighting. People were splitting the bill right down the middle. I guess that's because in America, it's each to his own. Maybe that's why Lupe didn't stand up for me. Maybe it had nothing to do with what I said earlier. Maybe it had nothing to do with what I said about me and Jason, after all. Front Desk, Chapter 38 Jason glared at me the next day. I could feel his anger vibrating off him. I put my head down on my desk to avoid having to look at him. But when I looked up again, I noticed he was twirling a pencil. He was always doing this, but then I noticed it wasn't just any ordinary pencil this time. It was my pencil, the one that my dad got me. Hey, give me that, I said, nearly jumping out of my chair, but Jason quickly held the sparkly green pencil beyond my reach. I waved my hand frantically that Mrs. Douglas could see what an emergency this was. Yes, Mia, Mrs. Douglas said. Jason stole my pencil, I said, narrowing my eyes at him. The word shot out of my mouth, sizzling hot. Mrs. Douglas turned to Jason. Is that true? Jason, expert faker that he was, fiend a shock and outrage. Of course not, Mrs. Douglas. This is my pencil. I would never take anything from Mia. Liar, I exclaimed. That's enough, Mia, Mrs. Douglas said. Both of you up here now. She motioned with her finger for the two of us to come up to her desk. I stared at my sparkly pencil in Jason's hand, which he clutched tightly with his sticky, sweaty fingers as he walked over to Mrs. Douglas. Is this about what happened at Hot Seat? Mrs. Douglas asked. No, Jason blurted at the same time I said. Of course it is. He's mad I won, I told Mrs. Douglas. So we had to take the one thing, the one thing. Tears slammed into the back of my ass. Tears slammed into the back of my eyes as I tried to get the words out. You didn't win. There's no winning in Hot Seat. There's only sitting, Jason said. Give me the pencil, Mrs. Douglas said. Jason handed it to her. I watched as she turned it 360 degrees. Hmm, I don't see any name on it, Mrs. Douglas said. That's because it cost $5.99, I told her. That wasn't a pencil. That was practically jewelry. You can't just write your name on a piece of jewelry. Exactly. Which is why it has to be mine, Jason pointed at me. You really think she can afford something that nice? My jaw dropped. What a thing to say. 
I'm afraid without a name on it, we can't tell for sure whose it is, Mrs. Douglas said. I sucked in my breath, preparing for the worst. Mrs. Douglas was going to keep the pencil for herself. I should have known she'd probably had her eye on it for days. There's only one thing to do, Mrs. Douglas said. Break the pencil in half. I gasped. How could she suggest such a thing? But before I could say anything, Jason shouted, No, don't break the pencil in half. Let her have it. Mrs. Douglas smiled. Now, we know who the true owner of the pencil is, she said. I held out a trembling hand. Jason, she cried. Mrs. Douglas said that because I took so long responding to the proposal of breaking the pencil in half, I could not possibly be the rightful owner. And Jason, with his touching heartfelt plea on behalf of the pencil, must be the rightful owner. So the pencil was his. It was the stupidest, most unfair thing I'd ever heard, and I had to bite the inside of my cheek to stop from crying. On the way back to our desk, I turned to Jason and asked in a very small voice, Please, Jason, can you give me my pencil back? It's very important to me. He thought for a second. It's important to you, huh? He asked. I nodded. Jason held my pencil up as if to give it to me and reached my hand out to take it. Then he whipped the pencil back, stuck out his tongue, and licked it. He licked my beautiful sparkly pencil up and down with his nasty, evil tongue. I was so startled I made a noise that came out of a half snort and a half chirp, which only made him laugh. He stuck the pencil in his pocket right as the bell rang. School was over, and Jason walked off with the nicest thing I had.